Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be in Mark's Gospel chapter 4 today as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel according to Mark. Now, when you came in, you saw our banners behind you, and I want to remind you that we are praying for the lost. Each one of the names on those labels represents someone's eternal destiny. And this Christmas season, we are praying for them And these are people that you know and love so that we might be able to see them come into the kingdom. As well, let me say, if you are a veteran of one of our military services, we want to say from the bottom of our heart, especially for me as a Gold Star family, how thankful we are that you have fought for our freedom and served our country. And so Calvary Chapel South Bay, would you mind please giving an applause to our veterans who are with us? Amen. As well, I'd like to remind you, Thanksgiving week, we will not have Bible study on Thursday. We will have a Thanksgiving service on Wednesday. When are we having that service? On Wednesday. When are we not having that service? On Thursday. We're looking forward to seeing all of you here. If you come on Thursday, I will probably be passed out from tryptophan, which is the, which is the chemical in Turkey. Um, and so I am looking forward to my Thanksgiving meal, as I'm sure that you are as well. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, as we study God's Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer to prepare our hearts. Father, we are grateful for your Word. And today... And for every Sunday as we get ready for the holidays, we are praying for the lost. Names. But those names represent people with an eternal destiny. And we're asking, Lord, would you save them? Would you provide us an opportunity to share the gospel? And now as we learn the word of God, I pray that you would give us insight on how to sow the seed of the word of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. If we remember Mark, the gospel according to Mark, he was a disciple of the apostle Peter. And he gives us the good news of Jesus Christ that we can all begin again. So Mark, being an incredible pastor teacher, he shows us the right way to live life by knowing the life of Christ. Last week, We learn the way to do ministry from Christ so that we can fulfill our ministry. That was our sailor verse. Fulfill our ministry. One of the best ways we can do that is to make it our priority to do the will of God. In fact, that's how we know we're in the family. When we're doing the will of God and make it our priority. Now, Mark chapter 4 verse 1, let's pick it up there as we enter into a different scene. And again... He began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat, and remember, he put that boat there the day before, and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Well, the scene has changed. 
He was up on the mountain with the disciples and he was there in prayer. Now he has come down and he is in the valley. And it's always good to go on a spiritual retreat with Jesus, to enjoy a time up on the mountaintop with the Lord. But we have a responsibility to leave the mountain. You can't live there and come down into the valley and get back into ministry after the retreat. That's exactly what Jesus is doing. And here he is at the Sea of Galilee, which according to Mark, seems to be one of his favorite places to teach. Now, if you know the Sea of Galilee, it's like a large bowl. Just imagine a very large bowl with soup in it. That's exactly what the Sea of Galilee looks like. You see, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ... He spoke the world into existence, and he designed the world's largest amphitheater. Now, that's important, because Mark is writing to the Romans. And the Romans prided themselves on their theaters, but not one of their theaters could compare where Jesus Christ was teaching there at the Sea of Galilee. And Mark wants to give very close attention that Jesus was in the water, using the water as an amplifier, using the Sea of Galilee uh, 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 walls of hills that go up around it as an amphitheater, and he would speak in the world's largest amphitheater, giving credence to the Roman that Mark was writing to, that Jesus was an incredible teacher. Multitudes would be looking at him and listening to him teach. Now, if you remember from Mark chapter 3, Jesus had put a boat out in the water and told his disciples, put a boat out in the water so that the crowds don't crush me. And I'd made a point last week that I think is worthy of repeating. You'll see it on the screen. The administration of our lives prevents us from being choked by the demands of life. If we will choose to prepare and plan our life, especially over the holidays, you're going to find that you'll actually be able to do more than what if you just show up and think it's going to be a part of your existence. Administration is a great gift. In Mark chapter 4, verse 2, we begin to see what he taught. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teachings. Jesus taught... By using parables. Now, parable is a heavenly truth expressed in earthly terms. Once again, a parable is a heavenly truth expressed in earthly terms. It's a principle of heaven that God makes palatable for us to understand, and He uses earthly concepts. They're stories. Because stories are easy to remember. In fact, I find sometimes you'll remember my story more than my point. And you'll meet me out in the lobby and say, when you're about to confess some sin to me, and say, well, remember when you did this, and then you'll go into it. Stories are easy to remember. So Jesus, he uses stories. He uses stories to take, to give across a point. So let's dig in and read this story that Jesus tells and understand what he's trying to get across. Listen, he says in verse 3, Behold, these are two words to get the disciples' attention. And maybe they were struggling with ADHD, I don't know. But he's doing everything he can for them to listen up. Sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some... 
fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root. It withered away. Some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some thirty-fold, some sixty, some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, you might not understand this story because we don't live in an agricultural culture. But they would have fully understood this story because they grew up in an agricultural culture. It made sense to them. It was a story of heavenly principles with earthly concepts. So to help us understand a little bit, because our our life is a little bit different. We go to Vons or Albertsons or we go to uh, 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 Smart and Final and we actually think that broccoli lives in and grows in the produce section there where all you do is pick it and it's nice and clean. Can I let you know that lettuce is actually dirty when you take it out of the ground. It's washed and it's cleaned and it's put there. It's not actually, it doesn't come up out of the ground wrapped in cellophane. They do that for us, right? We don't understand some of those concepts because we don't grow up in an agricultural culture. So I want to help us understand this just a little bit. You all know as a missionary in Liberia, I would make a farm every year. And what we would do is we would go into the jungle and we would take a machete and we would cut all the underbrush under the, uh, uh, under the trees. Three weeks later, after it dried, we would go with our same machete and we would cut down trees with the machete. Now, this was something that was not used to me. I didn't grow up in an agricultural culture. And so, by the end of the day, my hand was completely blistered and bloodied. So much so that one day I was cutting, with, cutting down the trees and I went to swing and my machete came out of my hand and like a helicopter went whizzing towards the African that was closest to me. Then I heard them speaking in dialect. Whatever you do, don't cut near the white man, he will kill you. <laughs> Listen, I was trying. And then what would happen is we would burn the field about three weeks after that. It was a whole process. And when we burned the field, the nutrients that were in the burn would go into the soil and help the seed grow. Then about three weeks later, after the ground had cooled and all the nutrients were there, the ladies would come. Oh, it was quite a scene. There would be young and old. They were learning from the older. And the oldest among them, she would begin a chant. And they would all have a little pouch of seed in front of them. And as she began to sing, And then you would see all the ladies start doing this. And then all of a sudden, they would start casting with the song. And they would cast with the song. And as long as that elderly lady was singing, they were throwing and she could sing. She would sing for hours. She would sing until that entire field was covered in seeds from these ladies. Now, sometimes when they would throw the seed, it would land on a log that we left there in the field. Sometimes it would land on the little path that we made to get to the field because their job was just to cast the seed. That's what they did. In fact, the goal of them casting this seed was to have a harvest. 
And so they were purposing to throw the seed in the field, but sometimes it would just go all over the place. Jesus, he's using the story to get across a point. Some will understand the point and some won't. Have you ever been to a family gathering for the first time and you're the only non-family member? Maybe it was the first time you went with your girlfriend or boyfriend to the house. And do you remember they told, said something and everyone bust out laughing except you? Because you didn't know the family secret. Now you could have got mad and said, oh, well, since you guys are laughing, I'm out of here. Or you could have just asked your girlfriend or boyfriend and say, hey, what are they laughing at? Because your girlfriend or boyfriend at the time, they want to tell you because they want you in the family. So they want to express to you the truth that everyone is laughing at. That's exactly what a parable is. It's meant to be understood when you ask, what does it mean? Take a look at Mark chapter 4, verse 10. But when he was alone, the scene changes. He's no longer with the multitude. Those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. You see, Jesus taught using parables, but now he's alone with his disciples. And they want to know, what does this parable mean? They want to be inside the family story. Now, there's probably many things in Scripture that we don't understand. But we, like the disciples, have Jesus with us. We have the Spirit of Christ with us to help us understand. Take a look at the screen. It's John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, that's what he's known as, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So just like the disciples with Jesus, when you're reading the book of Leviticus and have no idea what's going on, you can ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand so that you can grasp what you're reading. The most important thing is that you're spending time alone with the Lord. He will be faithful to explain the word of God to you. Take a look at Mark chapter 4, verse 11. And he said to them, in answering their question, to you it's been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive. Hearing they may hear and not understand, as he quotes from the book of Isaiah, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. You see, there are those that are outside and they won't understand. You might be saying, wait a second. I thought the gospel was inclusive. What is Jesus saying that those are outside? Well, I need to help you understand what he's trying to get across because in telling the people stories or parables, he's actually fulfilling the book of Isaiah. But why? Why won't they listen? Well, Ezekiel tells us. It's Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 2. Son of man, speaking to Ezekiel, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house which has eyes to see but doesn't see, ears to hear but doesn't hear, for they are a rebellious house. See, it's not that they couldn't, they didn't want to. Their pride and their arrogance kept them from wanting to know what it was that Jesus was saying. You see, if they would have asked like the disciples, they could have learned I mean, let's look at Nick at night. 
Do you remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night? That's what I call Nick at night. And it took you a little longer than the 8.30, okay? And you would think that they would be just waking up. So Nicodemus comes at night, and he asks Jesus, and Jesus responds and says, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus goes, do you want me to go back into my mother's womb? He asks a question. And Jesus responds, you've got to be born again. And because Nicodemus asked, though we didn't understand, Nicodemus became one of us. He became a disciple of Christ. He was a Pharisee. So it wasn't that Jesus was saying that the Pharisees could not come to Christ. They refused to come because God had given them a will. And they made a decision, we don't want to come. We are rebelling and we don't care what the story means. And that's a truth that's for each one of us. God's given you a free will. Take a look at Isaiah and how he describes it in chapter 1, verse 18. Come now. And let us reason together. This is God speaking with humanity, and he's saying, listen, let's talk. you got a free will. Let's reason, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Here's what I'm offering you. Now, here's the key word. If, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land, but if, you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Church, God's given us a free will. And that word if is very important. You have the choice whether or not you want to understand or not. He has given you a helper, the Holy Spirit. He has promised that you can reason with him, but you've got to make the choice and surrender your free will to God. And the disciples do that. So they go with the Lord in the room, and they ask him a question so that they can get the meaning. Now, this is important. They're disciples. They're followers of Jesus. And when you follow the ways of Jesus, you're actually going to better understand Jesus. Let me give you an example. The World Cup is just around the corner. I know all of us are going to watch it, right? Wow. Wow, 12.30. (laughs) Okay. I say the Dodgers are playing and you guys roar. I say let's watch the World Cup, not even a peep. You know why? You don't understand the game. You don't understand the game. It's better than baseball. You don't understand. Let me explain. If you were to understand, if you were to practice soccer, when you watch it, it wouldn't look like just a bunch of guys running all over the field. You would understand there's plays. You would understand there's strategy. You would understand there are ways to win. And they do things on the field, and they've already got it all. And you might go, well, how can they plan it? They know. And if you understood it and you actually played it, you might understand it. You see, when you put the words of Christ into practice, you actually understand it more. These are disciples. They're purposing to follow the way of Christ. But not only are they following him, they're in prayer. Hey, Jesus, what does the parable mean? Anytime you talk to Jesus, it's prayer. And so they're in prayer asking, and prayer unlocks heaven's door of wisdom and understanding. But not only that, 
the mysteries are being revealed. So here's my encouragement to you when you lack understanding. Get alone with Jesus. Study the scripture to show yourself approved. Take time to get alone with God and dig in. Secondly, I would say follow him like the disciples did. Put into practice what you're learning. Purpose to learn something and then live it. It'll help you better understand it. And if you lack any knowledge, just ask him. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's going to help you understand it. Take a look at what the Apostle Paul says. It's Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. So what he's saying is, I'm suffering for your sake and I'm thankful to suffer for Jesus' name of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So he's fulfilling his ministry by teaching them the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. God's heart is to reveal to his disciples, to his his saints, the word of God. And that's exactly what he's going to do with the disciples. Take a look. It's Mark chapter 4. We'll pick it up there in uh, verse 13. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Now, when a Jewish man in the first century world asks a question, he's making a statement. And what Jesus is saying is, this parable is the key to understand the rest of the parables. So wherever Jesus tells a parable, we can refer back to this truth to understand all the other parables. We're going to do that even next week. So here are the disciples. They don't understand. And Jesus says, I'm going to explain this to you, and I'm going to unlock this truth because this truth will unlock other truths. And let me tell you something about truth. Truth sets us free. It sets us free. We no longer have to listen to the lies and the deceit of the enemy. Let me tell you something else about truth. It sanctifies us. It makes us look more and more like Jesus Christ. And as we choose to dig into the word and ask the questions of the spirit, he will use that to conform us into the image of, the, into the image of Christ. Now in Mark chapter 4 verse 14, Jesus gets right down to it. The sower sows the word. Matthew lets us know that the field is the world. Mark lets us know that the seed is the word. The seed is the word. The seed is the word that has the potential to produce a supernatural harvest because it is supernatural. You see, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is supernatural. It has supernatural impact. The Apostle Paul would write Timothy this. It's 2 Timothy chapter, two, chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. This word inspiration is very important. In other words, every word is breathed out of the mouth of God. So what I want to do to help you understand this is take you all the way back to Genesis. 
In Genesis chapter 1, God says, let us make man in our own image. Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 2, he says this in verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Hey, church, do you realize when we repeat and we speak the word of God, the Spirit of God uses the words that we are speaking to breathe spiritual life into people. That's how powerful the Word of God is. So we've got to have the Word of God deep in our hearts. So when I give you these sailor verses, it's not just because I want you to memorize Scripture. I want Scripture to be in your heart so when you come in contact with the world, what's in your heart will just come out of your mouth. Even Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 63, he says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they're life. When I speak God's word into someone's life, I am breathing spiritual life into them. That's why we have the seed of the word of God implanted into our hearts. Now, it's obvious here in verse 14, the sower sows the word. Now, I need to point out the obvious here. We got a job to do. We have a job to do with a song in our heart to be a sower to simply be casting the seed into the field of the world. We have so much of the word of God in us. We've got this endless supply of seeds that no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation, no matter what experience that the world is facing, we have the word of God for them. This is why Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Have a bag full of the word in your heart so that you can be casting the seed with a song in your heart. No matter the circumstance, no matter the experience, you have a life-giving word to cast into someone's heart. Let me give you an example. When someone's mean at school, what do our teachers tell them? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Where do they get that from? The Bible. They are putting spiritual life into someone, and some of them aren't even Christians. But the Word of God is just practical. It makes sense. Now, I need to let you know, Jesus is an excellent farmer. He is an excellent farmer. And so what Jesus is about to do now, he's about to explain to them three things. He's going to warn them of three things that can affect the harvest. That's what he's going to do. Because good farmers will do everything they can to protect the seed that has been planted because their goal is to produce a harvest. And whatever is going to come against that seed, a good farmer will combat whatever it is and strategize so that that seed is protected. I'll give you an example. I planted a bunch of plants on the side of my house. They were expensive. And... Over a period of a few months, this one died, then this one died, then this one died, and this one died. And I said to my wife, I go, maybe they're just like molting. I don't know. Like maybe, I guess birds molt. Trees, obviously you can see I'm working on my farmer tactic. But 
uh, maybe the leaves are just dropping off. Finally, she goes, she goes, Chet, they're dead. It's time to replace the plants. When I pulled the plants out, there were the little devils, chinch bugs. They had eaten all the roots on my tree, those little devils. But I wanted to plant new trees. So you know what I did? I went to True Value, and I bought ortho. And I put, and you know what it says? Kills on contact. So I got one of those little devils, and I put it in the bag, and I went, (laughs) and I looked in the bag, and there it was. Killed on contact. So I put all kinds of ortho in my, uh, in my dirt. But then I looked over at my neighbors. I saw one tree dying. I saw another tree dying. Well, I'm a gardener, and he's a gardener. So I wanted to warn him. So I told him, hey, I think you got chinch bugs. And he said, no, 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 it was the heat wave. I go, dude, you got chinch bugs. He lifted up one, and guess what? There were the little devils. And when he lifted up his and one fell on the cement, I said, let me do it for you. So you know what he did? He went to the store at True Value, and guess what he bought? Kills on contact. Kills on contact. That's what a good farmer does. A good farmer protects the seed, protects the plant. And Jesus is trying to get a message across the disciples on what we need to do with the various soils that we'll come in contact with. Take a look. We'll pick it up there in verse 15. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. The wayside. It's a road. This would be like me saying, take the 405 to get to Huntington Beach. It's the same word, hados in Greek. It means a road, but their roads were a little bit different than ours. They were dirt. But there was so much traffic on these roads that it had compressed the soil so much that even water would not seep into this dirt, much less a seed. It was absolutely impossible for a seed because the soil had so much hardness. See, what Jesus is talking is a hard-hearted person. And it seems impossible to plant a seed On the 405. But can I tell you something? What's impossible with man is completely possible with God. You ever been driving on the 405 and see those weeds that are trying to make it in the middle? They found a way. Because what's impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus is telling this this story to them so that they will be good farmers and protect the seed that they planted. Now, he tells us the birds of the air are Satan. They're chinch bugs. 
birds of the air are just like chinch bugs, little devils in the dirt that are trying to eat away at the roots. But these are the birds of the air. And he refers to them as Satan. And what Satan does with a hard heart, as soon as you cast the seed, he swoops in and he grabs it. And that person, they start attacking you. Oh, if God is so loving, then why is this happening? And if God is so good, then why is this happening? Have you ever come in contact with a hard-hearted person? Immediately, they go on the attack. Going back to my farming days in Liberia, when we planted the seed, it was time for all the little boys to come around the farm. And they would have a bunch of little rocks and a sling. And they would be there all day, and if a bird came in to get the seed, they would swing that sling, and they would throw that stone so that the bird would fly away. Sometimes they would accidentally hit the bird, and they had bird soup for lunch. (laughs) So I didn't do so good in the machetes, they gave me the sling. Until when I slung, my aim was not so good, I hit the kid across the field in the head with the rock. (laughs) Didn't go over so well. They asked me to supervise at that point. (laughs) But this is a way that we can handle the hard heart. Remember, Jesus is warning, you've got a seed. It's the seed of the word. But you're going to come in contact with a hard-hearted person. And our greatest weapon is to sling the word just like Jesus did. Do you remember when the enemy attacked Satan? uh, Excuse me. When the enemy attacked Jesus... How did he respond? He responded with the word of God. He slung the word of God at the enemy. And what did the enemy do? Ran away. Because he's a coward when it comes to the word of God. So when the hard-hearted person comes at you with doubt and questions and mocking, sling the word of God their direction because the word of God is power. It's spirit and it's life. Now, someone after the first service, they came up to me and they said, So you want us to hit them in the head with a rock? No, no, no. You're missing the point. I don't want you to cower at the enemy. I want you to throw the word of God their direction because the word of God is spirit and the word of God is life. Let the church say amen. Amen. The hard heart. The best way to deal with the hard heart is solely the power of the word of God. Mark chapter 4, verse 16, let's take a look at the next heart. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. They have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. And afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. This is the stony ground. Now, it's similar to the roadside ground, but it's different. You see, he says, likewise, which means they're very similar, but there's one difference between them. They seem to get it, but they actually don't. Let me explain. Life has been a little rocky for them. They've come into a life circumstances that has rocked their world. They've come into a situation or experience that has kind of rocked their boat. So, they find themselves at your desk at work. They've watched you. They see your life of peace, and they want to know, how are you so peaceful? Why are you so loving? They're searching for relief, not 
repentance. They feel bad, so they'll listen to you. They'll listen to you communicate the truth. They may even pray with you. And when they're finished praying with you, and they're finished hearing the word, they're glad. Now, note the word that Jesus uses. He doesn't use the word joy. Joy is attached to salvation. Gladness is just a feeling. But there's a problem when we are just based on feeling. These people, they feel better. They're glad. They've come in contact with you, a loving Christian. God is the God of all comfort. And the word of God gives great counsel. I mean, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. What great counsel to give someone. So of course when they leave your office, they feel good. You've given them a hug. They feel all gushy inside. It's like, wow, that was great. I got prayed for. But as soon as they walk out of your office and they come in contact with Mr. Joe Joe No Christian, he looks at them and goes, did you go into the born-again office? So do you believe now that the world was created in seven days? Do you believe now that this guy was swallowed by a whale? <laughs> Do you believe all of this nonsense in the book? No, 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 I don't believe any of that. I just felt really good. That's all I felt. I felt great. I mean, I, I'm, I'm feeling a little heat right now. And I, wow, I felt happy. But now I'm like walking into some hard times and, oh, this is not a great feeling. No, 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 I don't believe in all that. I just want to feel good. You see, this is an emotional heart. They don't want to live by faith. They want to live by feelings. And when the happy times turn to hard times, because there's no root, they just walk away. And Jesus, he wants us to protect that seed. So we've got to go to war for them. We've got to fight the fight of faith for them. Paul tells us how. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, he writes Timothy and he says this, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Then he says this in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, just a couple of verses away, Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. He later says in a couple verses down, because God wants all people saved. Church, if you want to wage war on their behalf, it begins in prayer. We wage war for the emotional heart in prayer. Listen, I got nine kids. Two of my kids were child soldiers. When they became teenagers, my kids are your kids. And my wife and I, we used to go in the room because if they felt good, they had a great walk. But if something went went wrong, they blamed God. So you know what my wife and I used to do? We used to go in the room, we used to lay hands on their bed, and we would fight a spiritual war for them in prayer. They don't know that they're in the middle of a battle, but we did. So we went to God in prayer, and we brought them to God in prayer, and we watched all of them go through their experience as we fought the battle for them. And with the emotional heart, we've got to go to God in prayer, and we've got to pray for them. Amen? Amen. There's another seed that God wants us to consider. Take a look at verse 18. Now, he says... 
These are the ones sown among the thorns. They're the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. This is the thorny soil. Now, have any of you ever been choked? I have. I pulled my sister's hair, and she choked me. Do you know what it's like to be choked? You know you're dying. And you are fighting with everything in you to survive. Someone has got their hands on your throat and they are choking you. You know that it's happening and you're just simply trying to survive. What Jesus is trying to make very clear is this is what happens to your faith when you care more about the world instead of the word. He uses the word desire for worldly things. This desire word is the word that means a strong passion. In other words, you've got a greater passion for the way of the world than you do the will of God. Now remember, as a family member of Jesus, we all look alike. And he said the way that we look alike is we make the will of God our priority. That makes us all look like the family of God. But there's a family of the world. And they have a look about them as well that Jesus is expressing. You see, they care about prestige. They care about prominence. They care about power. They care about their portfolio more than any other thing. And they're being choked. They know it's happening, but with their free will, they're just making the choice to go that direction. And the Bible says they become unfruitful. It doesn't say they bear bad fruit. It says they become unfruitful. Just no fruit. So these are good people. They dress great. They look great. They act great. But they're not bearing any spiritual fruit. Now as believers, the Jesus tells us that we should bear much fruit. Not just some fruit. Much fruit in our life. So the litmus test of whether I'm going the way of the world... Or, and I'm being choked by the cares of the world, or I'm going the way of the word, what do you look like? Is your priority being in church, fellowship, service, being in the word of God in prayer? Or is your priority power, prestige, portfolio, prominence? Where do you spend most of your time? It will help you know which place you're at. It's a litmus test to be able to discover, am I going the way of the word or am I going the way of the world? Now, The thing about worldly people, when you approach them, the first thing they say to you is, don't judge me. Who who do you think you are? (laughs) Holy Mary? (laughs) Sanctified Joseph? I mean, (laughs) who do you think you are? That's the first thing they say, don't judge me. So you can't walk up to a worldly person. You've got to handle them a little bit differently. You've got to protect that seed. You can't beat them over the head with your 50-pound study Bible. You can't do it. The greatest way to deal with a worldly person is to love them. My son started fighting when he was five years old. Child soldier in a civil war. He fought from the time he was five to nine years old. 
We were always afraid because that was his foundation, that he would go astray when he was in high school or in college. And he did. When he went away to college, he met a girl. I think her name was like Luciferus. Uh, I don't know where that one came from. Actually, I do, but. (laughs) And he was living a life of sin. It broke our hearts, and then he asked, hey, I'd like to come home for Christmas. I'd like to bring Lucy. (laughs) He wants to bring Lucy to Christmas. My wife and I made a decision that we were going to love him. We knew he was lying to us. We knew he was cheating. We knew he was stealing. We knew he was acting like the world. But Jesus, he says, we got to act different. We got to love first so they can know what love is. After my son graduated college, we were so nervous. In fact, we loved this kid so much that we met with our other kids. When he would leave, we would meet with our other kids and we would say, look, if you go astray like he goes astray, I promise you, we will not love you the same. So you need to just learn the lesson now, okay? Because we don't want you going astray. So we ain't treating you like the way we're treating him. That's how much we chose to love him, the whole family. Came home from college we were sitting at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, my wife and I. The pastor gave an altar call, and Emmanuel, my son, got up, up out of his seat, and he walked forward, and he surrendered, and he gave his whole heart and life to Jesus Christ. Today, he's a deacon. He teaches at a Bible study at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, and he married the most incredible woman. Her name is Esther, not Lucy. We call her the queen. We never would have won him over by hitting him in the head with the Bible. Finally, we close here in verse 20. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it, bear fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100. He starts out by saying, but these. In other words, this seed is different than all the other seeds. And where it has landed, excuse me, all the other soils, where it has landed. But I need you to note something. Jesus is the one giving the story. He's the only one who knows the kind of soil the seed falls on. We can't determine the soil of someone's heart. Because I want to let you guys know something. Not one of us in this room would have offered salvation to the thief on the cross. We would have looked at him and go, he's got a hard heart. He's got an emotional heart. He's got a thorny heart. We would have judged him to death. Now, maybe you think you might be different. But the Bible says that the thief spit on Jesus, and then Jesus offered him the kingdom. You spit on my Jesus? <laughs> you got a hard heart going to hell. I mean, just imagine 
where we would have been. And I understand this. So church, with shame, I tell you this. Anna Nicole Smith, she moved less than a mile away from me in the Bahamas. You know who she is. My uncle challenged me to go share the gospel with her. But this was when she was in the news. They were taking pictures. And all I can imagine was Fox News or CNN taking a picture of me at the gate of Anna Nicole Smith's house. Pastor at Anna's house. Ooh. So I was afraid. I didn't go. She died of a drug overdose. I went to my uncle's office. He was a dealer. of uh, He sold cars in the Bahamas. And when I went there, they were showing the news about Anna Nicole's death. It was a big deal in Nassau because she lived there. And there was a woman sitting in my uncle's office while we were watching the news. She was in tears. She was Anna Nicole Smith's maid. She was buying a car at that time from my uncle when I walk in. She began to tell the story of how Anna's dad was a pastor. And when she would go into the house and clean, she would share the gospel. And she pulled out a Bible from her purse, and she was about to give it to Anna Nicole Smith. And she wrote on it, to you, Anna. And I was so grateful to God that someone was willing to be an ambassador and not look at the soil and go, that's a hard heart. That's a thorny heart. That's not our job. We're not the judge. We're the farmers. Our job is to cast the seed. That's what we do. And we protect that seed at all costs. Now, the only way that we'll know that the seed fell on good soil, Jesus says to us, One who accepts the word. You know that you're in if you fully embrace the word of God. You know you're the seed of your heart. It's good soil. But then he says you also bear fruit. One who bears fruit. Now you know what amazes me? If I take an orange seed, one seed, and I put it in the ground, that thing will grow up into a tree and produce hundreds of oranges every year. That's an example for us as believers. Because we've got to look at our lives and discover, are we bearing 30, 60, 100 fold? Do we find ourselves in the way of the world, or do we find ourselves in the way of the word? In the way of the word, we're just casting seed with a song in our heart, and we're protecting that seed wherever it may fall. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Father, I'm so thankful for the word of God. And I pray that as we cast the seed of the gospel, especially in this holiday season, as we pray for names, that you would allow us and give us the courage and strength to cast the seed with joy in our hearts. And all God's people said. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.